Good morning, Interweb. Welcome back to the Artifexian podcast. Problems with Dune. Problems with my really bad take on time reckoning. Further problems for Yarte Yarden as the Nomad is freed. The problem with pop bards in fantasy fiction. Underused historical periods in fantasy fiction. And the problem with space Victorians. All of that plus lots more in this month's episode. Bill. Yo. Betamax Crinkle Dash. Indeed. Uh, revisited. Can, can I get you to, to run down real quick the rules of this? Because I think I found a Betamax Crinkle Dash type name in the wild. So, it has to... Okay, I think... I, I can't remember this exactly. I think there was a few rules and, you know, it was I, I consider it valid if you satisfied two of the three of them, something like that. Um, so it has to have the same sort of rhythm. Baba dum double dum. Yeah. Yada da 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 da. Um and it had to start with similar sounds. So like a B or a P is valid for the for the first word and a a C or I guess a G, like a, a K or, or a G. Um, valid for the second one. Um, and then the third criteria, there was a third. I can't remember what the third criterion was. Okay, so... Gosh, it's been a while since I thought about that. I know. Uh, but, but So given that, do you think uh, Mariah Doc Brandybuck works from Lord of the Rings? Um... Because uh, oh. it sounds like Betamax Rick Benedict Cumberbatch, Mariah Doc Brandybuck. Yeah, potentially. I think I think this is one where you could um, maybe you know test it out experimentally. Like say say it to to like you'd have a, a sample group and say it to like ten people, um, and you know be in a situation where you're obviously talking about that Sherlock actor, and then you call him Mariah Doc Brandybuck and see do they know what you're talking about. I think they would. I think. I think the the rhythm. I think the rhythm is a, one of the strongest parts there. Yeah. The baba dum da da dum. Uh, I think. We see. The, see, Mariah Doc Brandybuck has an upbeat in it. Oh, as opposed to Betamax Crinkle Dash. It's yeah. Mariah da da da. It does. It does have an extra thing. But I mean, you know, up, upbeats are. I, I think you could. Yeah, it, it's it's bending a lot of the rules. It's been, it's it's not it's not fully satisfying. But I I, I take your point. But it feels right, point. Bill, doesn't it? I mean, ultimately, as as musicians, you know, I, I think that is what we need to go by. We need to go by the feel. Mm. We, we can't we can't get bogged down in trying to satisfy uh, theoretical requirements because that's not what theory's about. Do you know if it's Mariah Doc or like Maria Doc? Um, I couldn't find. Well, he is known as Mary, so that would. Meriadoc. We feel like it's Meriadoc. Um, of course, did you know um, that none of these are their actual names? I mean, I mean, yes, the actors have different names, correct, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not that Hobbit's real name. What's the Hobbit's real name? Is it something in, like, some tongue? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Calamac Brandagamba. Calamac... Jesus, Calamac could work very well with the Betamax Crinkle Dash as well. Yeah, you, you could reverse that. Brenda Gamba Calamac. <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, but all, all all of the names in 
Lord of the Rings are translations through, like, from whatever their original name, whatever original language it's meant to be in, like, uh, Westron or Sindarin or whatever, um, into something closer to English. Um, so Frodo Baggins isn't called Frodo Baggins. His name is Mara Labinji. That is not, that does not have great mouthfeel right there. Or maybe it's Labingi. I'm not sure. Mara Labingi. Either way, I don't, I don't like that mouthfeel at all. Jesus Tolkien, mm. some nerd. Yeah. <laughs> so we've just, we've just been calling them by the, these like translations of their, of their real names all along. Um, for shame we want to bring back the original the original Lord of the Rings is what we want um, <laughs> in the original Klingon <laughs> yes in the original Klingon um, so should we do some show I guess <laughs> so uh, I suppose we have we have some items of follow up most of which are basically going to be me flogging myself for being an idiot uh, which you know at this point has kind of become customary in the show mm-hmm. Um so the first point, actually, the first point is not me flogging myself. The first point is about, like, I'm going to call it rebel democracy. In the last show, uh, you had, like, a, a mutiny mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing happening. And I queried about, like, uh, the democratic means by which the mutineers, uh, like, took control of the ship. And I queried as about whether that is standard or not. Um, mm-hmm. You slash Tasmus233... Uh, writes, on the diplomatic election of the rebel scum, my understanding is that it was actually fairly common for pirate ships to have this kind of agreement. Uh, I can highly recommend The Invisible Hook, The Hidden Economics of Pirates by Peter Leeson on the topic. He also wrote a chapter on pirate law in legal systems, very different from our own, which is legally available as a free PDF here. Um, And so we'll drop that link for anyone interested in uh, learning about the legality of pirates. So thank you for that, uh, Tasmus two three three. Yeah, um, I, I, absolutely. That was that was very much something I was thinking of when when they when the mutineers held elections. Yeah, uh, and actually, I'm going to hop around a little bit with the with the follow up here. I'm going to leave all the Edgar flogging to the end. Save the okay. save the best bits to last. U slash D F Y X, who's our German friend from the last show. Um, so I can't remember where they wrote this, but I vaguely remember they wrote somewhere that they'd like to hear more about uh, our thoughts on German. Um, which I think overall is not the most interesting conversation, but I do want to ask you, Bill, about your relation to German. Because, like, you know, my knowing German and being engaged with German is pretty obvious given the familiar collection. But, like, mm-hmm. you don't have that at all. And I know that you, uh, there's an alternate universe where you went off and studied German. So I, I don't actually know this answer. So I'd love to know, like, why German? What draw, what drew you to German? Um, I mean, I just, I studied it in, in secondary school. So I was I was doing it from the age of like twelve, um, and I chose it because my older siblings had chosen it. So I thought it would be easier for me to do, and I could like get ask them for help. Was if, it um, though? Um, I mean, I did I did it a couple of times. Asked them for help. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that that's that's really just the the kind of the genesis of it. Um. Then, like when I was in, when I was when I was older, uh, you know, I got more into various German musics and stuff. Um, for my, you know, you know, for the Leaving Cert, um, in in German when we when we did the Leaving Cert, mm-hmm. which is the final se- secondary school exams yeah. for non-Irish listeners, um, 
you could do uh like you had to like tell what was happening in a story you had to explain you you're given like a a comic and you had to explain what happened in the story yeah yeah um instead of doing that you could do a project and you just had to be able to talk about your project um so i did a thing on german music instead oh very cool man yeah. that is really interesting that but mm-hmm. you and all your siblings uh question mark did german mm-hmm. because th- yep. that's I'm, i don't know like anecdotally that is atypical right there as in most people do french or that, that most people don't do the same subjects well no most people do french or spanish if it's offered um, yeah, Spanish wasn't even offered for, for most of my time in school. Yeah, that that's fair. I'd, Spanish was not offered in my in two of the schools I went to. It is it was offered in the school local to me, which I didn't go to. Um, mm. But like in my secondary school, there was no German at all. Like it was so there was so little demand. There was no German. Um, Weird. Yeah, the only option was in fact actually the only option was French. That was the only. That was the only language you could choose. You could do French and that's it. If you want to go to university, you must do French. That's it. Mm. Um, and like I had to do it on my own outside of school hours as like an extracurricular sort of thing. Because um, it just it, it wasn't offered. Nobody wanted it. You had to do German on your own. I had to do German on my own, yeah. yeah. And it was gas. I, I'm sure I've told you the story before and I'm fairly positive I, this has been put on air before. But it was mad uh, because I had to do uh, the leaving sort of oral. So again, for people who are not from Ireland, uh, as part of your final exam, um, they test you on your ability to be able to speak the language. And uh, the usually, usually what happens is that they get some outside examiner to come in and they spend the entire day there quizzing all the pupils, like, you know, potentially hundreds of pupils on on their language but i was the only idiot in school who did german so this poor lady had to drive halfway across the country to just meet with me for a half an hour and she 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 rocks up and she sees my name and she goes grunewald and i'm like yes and then we had looked at each other and we went oh christ this is going to take five minutes isn't it and i'm like yeah it is and so we sat there and like she she we basically didn't really do the exam we just talked about we just talked like normal human beings uh and she was like immediately she was like okay you can speak german it's fine like we don't need to go through this embarrassing rigmarole of like (laughs) tell me what this person is doing and it's like oh that man is crossing the street where is he going to the ice cream shop like we didn't need to, <laughs> <laughs> need to do all of that no it's not that the German was perfect or anything but it was it was you know more than what was required for the oral so she was there for like like what tops like 10 minutes and then she had to drive back halfway across the country and it's just like <laughs> what a waste of resources it's crazy uh but yeah anyway, so that's interesting yeah so it's yeah. true school i mean that's a, that's kind of a cool um Lots of people say that language learning in school is kind of death to language learning. Mm. You're kind of a nice counterpoint there that it's because of your exposure to it in school that you've maintained a sort of interest in it. Um, yeah, I guess. That's kind of cool. I mean, I did I did a, I did a summer camp in it before my final year of school. In in um, Germany or in Ireland? In, in, in Ireland, yeah. Okay. Um, so I went, went to, to German college for, for like three weeks. Um, and that was actually really good because I, that was the first time anyone had really explained what cases were in a way that, that made any sense to me. I, I like, you know, you go through Irish particularly and, and being told, oh, on Tishel Ginnadoch, on Tishel Ginnadoch. And no one yeah. ever really made an effort to explain what a Tishel or a Ginnadoch was. <laughs> um, and then even, even in German, like we have the, you know, we, we had, had to learn off the charts of how the, the articles change mm-hmm. 
uh, by by uh, gender and and case, but it it didn't really mean anything. It didn't. It was never really put in any context that I remember. Yeah. Uh, but then I went to German college and like okay, bam! It just like my second day there, the teacher explained what it was about, and it suddenly I I, I was able to f- to figure it out. Cool. Um, and then obviously when I was in um when I was in college. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was studying German and spent a year in Germany, so I visited Germany several times that year. So oh, I've been to, I've been to Germany quite a bit. That's right. I reckon you've probably been to Germany more than I have. Um, uh, sex with a sleeping mouth. Yeah, that's much more than me. That's sorry. We, we should. I realized in editing the last show that we spent a lot of time talking German, and for like the poor people who can't speak German, the show was a bit incomprehensible. So to translate, <laughs> Bill said six or seven times there. Um, yeah, I, I've been there. Like, like I lived there for a, a year or two when I was very small. So I guess mm. that counts as kind of like a couple of times, if you will. Um, <laughs> but then you spent more time, you know, gross. <laughs> I think yeah, more gross time. But I've been there less times. I think I've only been there like three times, excluding things like you know transit in airports and things like that. Yeah, because that you know obviously doesn't count. Um, let's go. Let's go to let's, t- t- let's, let's take an Artifixian trip together. Ah, that would be great. I would, I have family who I don't know of. Like, I know that they exist, but we'd have no contact with them for reasons I cannot fathom. Uh, but they're in, in um, Bavaria, in Bayern. And I've never been to Bayern before. And I'd love to go down, down south in Germany because apparently that's meant to be, the vibe there is meant to be entirely different from like, the areas of the country that I have visited, uh, namely Nordrhein-Westfalen and all that. Um, the German for vibe is just a vibe, but it's spelled W E I B. Oh, really? No, I don't know. I don't have never. <laughs> see, again, so also all of my German comes from uh, predominantly. I spent. Oh no, I was I was in Germany a little bit more. Germany a little bit more, but anyway, I spent one summer when I was twelve, um, minding my elderly grandmother in Germany. Ostensibly, mm-hmm. I was sent there to learn German, but what I was actually doing was making sure the poor woman didn't fall down the stairs. Um, that's what was going on, and I was blissfully unaware of this. So I was just like bopping around, speaking German, and that sort of crack. So lots of my German specifically like the vocabulary specifically revolves around the sort of vocabulary one would use if you're living with like a 90 year old grandmother so like words like the word for vibe i just wouldn't know like that's just not a thing that that's that's fair yeah so it's... I, I i have actually looked up what that word is though w-e-i-b and it's a, it's a slightly derogatory term for woman it's like uh, the equivalent of calling someone abroad oh there we or go an archaic word for wife so um, we will. Apologies to. I was about to say, this. Bill can post an apology in the next show. Seeing as I'm going to apologize for being an idiot in a few minutes, Bill can apologize for being an idiot for using the word vibe on air. <laughs> I joke, I joke, I joke. Um, but but yeah, anyhow, cool. So that's cool. But Bill likes German in no small part because of school and surrounding interests. That's that's kind of good for the education system. It's a good. That is a pro story. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, moving on uh, before, yeah, again before I get into the Edgar vlogging, do you want to talk about Sully's comment on the YouTube Ori Dune uh, yes so we were talking a little bit the last day um, about the way in which Dune is very clearly um, Islamic inspired mm-hmm. or influenced and that the Fremen culture is um has uh, explicit kind of uh, origins in in Islamic cultures. Um, and on the YouTube upload of the last episode, 
we got uh, a comment from Sully, which I'll just read out. With the Islam slash spice oil slash desert point, as a practicing Muslim, I feel that the whole bit is deeply orientalist and continues that weird othering that Europeans love to do to the other cultures of the Mediterranean. As a Muslim, every time I read or hear the word jihad in the book, I cringe from both pronunciation, um, so I probably messed it up just there now in my, my quotation, apologies, Sully, and improper context without the more important meaning of jihad ever being brought up, and it is just deeply uncomfortable to see a culture that is definitely pre-Islamic Arabian and not post-Islamic being given specifically Islamic-coded vocabulary. And the worm. The worm is a prominent pre-Islamic symbol and monster in Arabia, but mostly died out with the advent of Islam, and it is so horribly uncomfortable for me to see the words, the worm symbology associated with Islam, when that is a bloody, well, pagan symbol. Oh, how I hate that part in particular, whether or not it was intentional. It is borderline offensive and definitely something that ruins the Dune series for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of isn't all that surprising um, that, you know, something written by a, a, a white American, a Western, or in the 60s, isn't really the most culturally sensitive, um, yeah, d you know, use of of another culture's kind of cultural material and tropes and things. Um, I'm actually I'm gonna see if I can see uh, what the correct pronunciation of that word is. So I thought it was. I looked up on Wiktionary and I thought it was jihad. That's exactly where I'm going. Um, I think it was jihad. Now, again, uh, no, actually, no. Now that I think, I think that H is actually a H and not like a pharyngeal type sound. Um, yeah, that seems to be... I can never remember what the... The vowels are really hard, man. I can never remember what, what the different vowels mean. Um, the IPA symbols. But yeah, jihad seems to be what it is. Okay. Um, so it's, maybe it's that it's hard rather than had. I don't know. Now, the uh, the... The, the thing about jihad, and again, forgive the pronunciation. Actually, I have two things, right? So one thing is I I, I don't want to, you know, um, uh, put Sully on blast here at all. Uh, this is purely meant as a kind of engaging with the comment, not as a you're wrong sort of thing. Um, I would I would question the the thing about the pronunciation um, because, I mean, you know, language is borrow terms the whole time. And you you pronounce the term using the phonology of your native language. Like, so, for example, uh, we say zeitgeist. Uh, in English, because we borrowed it from German, when really it should be Zeitgeist. We just don't put the cert there. And right, I, yeah. I don't, uh, personally, I don't uh, feel that when there's a mispronunciation. Um, and maybe I'm particularly sensitive to this because I mispronounce, uh, you know, a whole bunch of English words and I'm constantly put on blast for it on the internet. And I just kind of want the internet to be like, it's okay. You could, as long as meaning is still conveyed, it should be okay. Like, I don't have to say, I shouldn't have to force myself to say these and those if just natively i want to say these and those you know um so i think there you know i think there's um for me anyways i think there's a little bit of wiggle room there like i wouldn't expect um people i would expect people to pronounce the word jihad according to their phonological inventory um and i for me anyways i don't think that one is is a, a massive problem anyways but again that's not to say like sully is wrong that's just like how i see it um makes sense yeah I, I see what you're saying. I think there's a difference between um, having variant pronunciation of a language you are native to. You know, uh, that's that's based on your, um, your your kind of own dialect of of the language and changing the 
the the pronunciation of of a word from a a foreign language, uh, especially when all of those sounds do exist in English. Like there's there's nothing there that isn't in in a normal English. Uh, phonological inventory yeah again this boils down to like how do people like pronounce this that's wrong because again if it's jihad then that's how I, i've only ever heard it do, do people go around saying it like jihad or something like that i don't know i, I must watch dune again to see whether the, the actors pronounce it in some mad way um um so I, I my my suspicion is it's it's the the a um that it's it's not like it's not ah like jazz. Yeah, it's like an ah probably. Yeah, so I mean, I'm looking up the the thing here because as I said, I can never remember. So it's um front open unrounded. Ah. Yeah, it's an ah sounds jihad. I mean, because that would make sense because uh, again, okay, look, look, the knowledge uh, of my 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 Arabic knowledge is not vast. Okay, so I'm pre- prepared for me to s- be prepared for me to say silly things here. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would expect the, the back ah uh, to occur if there was those emphatic consonants in jihad, um, which uh, looking at the IPA and Wiktionary implies that there, there aren't emphatic consonants there because uh, they drag the vowel back. So when they're present, the vowel backs. And when they're not present, the vowel is, is, is uh, fr- uh, fronted. Um, this is what you're talking about in your, your video. In in the vowel harmony video, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, looking at Wiktionary, I don't see any emphatic consonants <coughs> there. So I would expect the pronunciation to be jihad mm-hmm. with an A ah at the front, not an A. Ah. Um, but anyway, I think the, the more, I think the, the bigger thing there is the context sort of thing. Because uh, that is, this, this is, again, I'm going to be wrong about a lot of this. Because again, I'm, I'm not a Muslim. Um, but I remember growing up in a post 9-11 world where the word jihad just meant war. Um, and it was only way after that I figured out, or I, um, yeah, uh, I figured out that um, jihad means like pre-Islamic means kind of like struggle or effort or something like that. So it's it's like got these different contexts, and in a post nine eleven world, it just just meant basically like war, and that's not the totality of the term, mm. as far as I know. So I think that's a. I think that's definitely a thing where when somebody talks about improper context, I think the context of that word is is kind of important. Um, and we kind of, I don't know, it's just, it's it's been morphed into a pretty toxic term, I would say. Yeah. Um, when, and, and you're saying that Dune was kind of doing that as well. It was it was taking a, a specific meaning of the word and, and using that as a kind of a general meaning. And correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, what I would be really interested in, um, is there any kind of like response to or reimagining of dune from an islamic writer from an islamic perspective um not and not even like necessarily a like that it's about a specifically religious uh, examination of it just but from from someone familiar with the the cultures mm. that are being used to to provide the material here um yeah i can't say i've ever heard of a thing like that but yeah cuz that is definitely the kind of thing that that people do do like there's um a, a kind of a post-colonial uh, response to uh jane eyre which imagines uh rochester's wife as being from the caribbean and that that puts a whole new kind of spin on um the the dynamics in that i'm sure that would be a very interesting point if i knew much about jane eyre <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> told, trust me, it's pretty interesting. You don't need to go into. You don't need to give me the the run, uh, the blow by blow. I, 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 I've I've never fully read it, so I'm not about to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have a, I have a point again on the the um, the orient orientalist uh, angle mm-hmm. here, um, and the sort of tendency Western writers have of kind of um, romanticizing uh, other cultures to a fault. Um, yeah. Where you end up with the traits of like the mystic native and that sort of crack. Um, For sure, Native Americans get it an awful lot. Um, Eastern East Asians get it a lot as well. Mm. Um, and not to downplay that, and it kind of I feel like it does generally flow in one direction more than the other. As in, it's usually Western people um, creating hyper real uh, representations of other cultures. But it, I, it always struck me watching the Miyazaki films of how it's kind of the reverse occurs in some of his films, where it's like this weird sort of take on uh, Western culture that doesn't exist, you know? And it's this, like, like Castle in the Sky, uh, to, for an example, is one where, he, like, the take on the culture is kind of like, in Europe, right, all the buildings are made out of stone. There's stone everywhere. Everything is, like, gargantuan and stone. That's just, like, you round a corner and it's hey presto, there's a castle everywhere. And I'm like... But, like, that's not really how... Well, A, you know, Europe isn't a monolith. And, like, even within that, it's, like, that's reserved for, like, you know, royal buildings or whatever, or keeps or forts. Like, the average person might have lived in, like, a wattle and daub shack or whatever back in the day. And it's just this very kind of... I don't know, this this weird take that Miyazaki has where it's kind of, like, Europe equals robust. And everything Mm. is just very robust. And it's so weird... Uh, seeing that because you're like I stew in this culture like I get that this is wrong and I'm having it told to me that this is it's, it's just a really weird vibe and dynamic Um, an example I really enjoyed of that was uh, did you ever play Bayonetta? no uh, I I never particularly enjoyed the game but I, I, I saw a lot of it being played Um, and it's it's set in a sort of version of of Europe. I think the first one is kind of in a kind of like Italy or you know visually quite like Italy. Um and it's the antagonists I think are kind of designed around the Catholic Church hmm. um in aesthetic and structure and things, but none of the specifics are bear any real resemblance to reality. Um and there's all the stuff about music and like you collect records um and the the characters four guns are called parsley sage rosemary and thyme um and it's just this like really bizarre mishmash of various kind of unrelated things from the west and i really enjoyed that after you know decades and decades and centuries probably of westerners mi- misrepresenting japan in their media this game is just going book wild totally disregarding anything about what europe is actually like <laughs> I was like you know i respect that <laughs> that's actually a really good point. i really enjoyed it i believe that you did bring up that game before i remember you talking about the herbal names of those characters mm. uh, way back in the day bill like that must be years and years ago vaguely rings a bell um but anyway final point on sully's uh comment here is that i had literally no idea that the worm is a pre-islamic symbol um, no me either no idea at all i just figured that you know uh herbert was like i need an animal what's cool a giant worm 
I never realized that there could be um, a deeper metaphor going on there. That's that's really interesting to know. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, Sully's comment, correct? Uh, yeah, cool. I think so. That, thank you very much for that, Sully. It, um, it was a, an insightful one. Learned something, and now I'm more confused about the word jihad. I'm sure there'll be follow-up uh, incoming in the, in the next show about this. Uh, and in fact, I know some people uh, in like Discord who um, uh, at least speak Arabic, but also have studied, uh, done like Middle Eastern studies and things like that. So they might be good people to hit up. Uh, I might go check out what they uh, what mm-hmm. they think. Anyhow, so now we get on to uh, Edgar bashing. So. Um, Love this. Oh God, I, I listened back to the last show and the edit, and I'm such, I'm such an idiot. Like I actually considered cutting the part where I just made a fool of myself, but I was like, no, I'll be dishonest. I should leave it in. Uh, and this is regards to the calendar stuff, where I was like, Bill, do you know what's daft? Big numbers. And then you were like, No, Edgar, that's completely normal. And the more you talk, the more is like, Yeah, my position is completely indefensible. And I've <laughs> I've just basically done a 180s. Anyhow, lots of people uh, wrote in to, to kind of uh, get on the bill train here, which is like totally fine because I was clearly wrong. Um, you slash Rick Jenkinson brings up, uh, the, you know, the idea of calendars with big numbers. You should check out the human era calendar, human era calendar, which I'm aware of. Um, I think it's a thing that Kurzgesagt really pushes. I think they publish a human era calendar. Um, and it, it basically, uh, it, the conceit of it is that the current date is, I think, 10, 000, no, 12,022. Um, and it, it sets its zero date at the, like, the beginning of humanity. However, that's defined. I don't know the exact um, uh, criteria for defining when humanity began. But there's a calendar that people advocate for and it's kind of in the internet zeitgeist that uses massive numbers and everyone's cool with it. Uh, so that would have been a, another counterexample to big numbers. Um and then the, the most damning one here comes from Zen10 on Discord. He writes, on Edgar's point about sorting in years. So my problem was the sorting thing. Um, I won't go into it because it was daft, really, looking back to it. Um, so on sorting in years, especially computers, basically all computers today start counting uh, start accounting January 1st, 1970. Some of them will run into issues on the 19th of January, 2038, because that's when uh, 32-bit integers will overflow. Uh, but lots have already gone to 64 bits, uh, which won't, uh, which means we won't have this problem until somewhere like the year uh, 292 billion. But either way, this has nothing to do with how we actually write years like 2022, which is strictly a human issue. As to Edgar's manual sorting, people will run into even worse problems by resetting numbers to zeros. Putting a prefix won't help, although I guess putting a suffix would. So I completely forgot that computers count and sort things in a vastly different way to how we do on the abstract surface level. So it's just, it just everything I said in the last show, Ori calendars, is just the most daft nonsense ever. And I'm just, I'm sorry, internet, for everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done a complete U-turn on that. Big numbers, totally fine. <sighs> there you go. That's me flogging myself. <laughs> Happy? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, world billing. World billing. World, what do you got for us this uh, this month? Um, I have some direct follow up on last episode's. Oh, uh, continuous narrative. <laughs> <laughs> 
The following notice was received by several broadsheet publishers in Meersphere, Lansk and Vilv. The Charter of the Free Vessel Nomad Hereby, according to our rights ancient and perfect, we declare the Nomad to be a free vessel. No longer content in our complicity in the crimes of the Tamar Company against the Abeski people and foreign nations, we as a crew have overthrown the illegitimate authority of the company and the military commission, as wielded through Lieutenant Yartlin and the officers and marines aboard. The above entities are engaged in a war against the groundsfolk of Abesk, the Hoitani, the Urthani, the Abwari, and diverse other nations, wherever exploitation and violence can be a tool of profit. This is not a war of battery and blade alone, but one also of license prospecting, bond servitude, and plain theft. Our mutiny was not an act of aggression, but one of resistance and solidarity. We may be labelled agitators. That is a name we embrace as we agitate for an end to company oppression. Acquired through mutiny as a legitimate prize of war, the Nomad is now a sovereign trading entity. As a free association of willing crew members, we require no authority other than our own and no legitimacy other than that derived from our association. Any crew member wishing to leave has been allowed to do so, placed safely without company reach, but able to return to Obeski settlements. Our association is free and voluntary. Any person abiding to our agreements may join and leave as they see fit. We reject imposed authority. All our officers have been elected by the crew as temporary roles, not as positions of supremacy. Our decisions and trade shall be conducted as a collective, on the consensus of the crew and to the profit of us all. Though it is our purpose to pursue our trade peacefully, we recognize that we exist in a state of war. As such, we will act in self-defense against the vessels of the Tamar Company or other Abeski companies. We will not seek violence, but will defend our right to trade and the rights of other free vessels. Wait, we have, is this our first mention of like utter war? Or is this like a declaration that in this universe now we have a state of war? We always had a state of war. But I don't think that was explicitly mentioned before. There was agitations, there was riots or something. I don't think you've ever written, like, between one character and the next that there is they are at war. Um. So this this is... It's kind of like these guys are saying that there is a class war. Uh, and, and and a kind of a... And there is already an undeclared war going on is 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 the angle they're taking here sure sure sure, sure yeah. yeah um but but i i don't again i don't think i'm wrong in saying that this is perhaps your first use of the term war though like this this sort of very explicit sort of like here's what's going on it's not subtext anymore it's like no there is a war um be it class or possibly yeah possibly okay um now i have to say i'm a little confused mm-hmm. uh, and i need you to recap stuff for me sure so again the nomad what mm-hmm. is the nomad which ship is this so the nomad um unless i have made a terrible fool of myself um is the vessel that lieutenant yartlen was was okay. in command of 
that uh, was Season of Mutiny that I, I wrote about last episode. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so I forgot the name of that ship. And for yeah. some reason, I thought the Nomad was not an Abesky ship. Okay, cool. So the Mutineers... No, it's not anymore. Not anymore. Well, it's it's Abesky, but it's not, it's not a company ship. It's mostly a Abesky crew still. So the Mutineers got hold of this ship. And this is mm-hmm. like they're, they've published this to say that we are now in control of this ship. It is no longer a company's property. Um, mm-hmm. we have we've usurped it correct yes cool brilliant uh so okay we'll get to we'll get to tenant yarlin in a second let me just underline this here uh go i'll go through this in in order of stuff that i've, I've labeled here um mm-hmm. can is there anything interesting to talk about with the phrase rights ancient and perfect um eagle-eyed viewers will remember that from the constitution of the tamar company Okay, and a recap for non-Eagle Eye viewers like myself. <laughs> um, so a while ago, um, yeah, about, about a year and a half ago, I I wrote the Constitution of the Tamar Trading Company. So they're they're kind of foundational document, mm-hmm. um, uh, which begins hereby founded in the great city of Jikav, a company and association of traders and people of worth to undertake trade activities hereby defined as an exchange of goods and currency prospecting, exploration, and all associated activities for the protection, security, and fulfillment of these pursuits according to the rights ancient and perfect granted us, granted to us by tradition, by our heritage, and by our gods. So that's... Uh, it's a kind of a stock phrase in uh, Abesky uh, legalese. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's basically saying that, you know, we can do this because this is kind of our natural law. Okay. Um, so it's being used both in that sense here and somewhat ironically um, as, as a phrase that is, is used to, to justify what the, uh, what the companies do. Yeah, they're using the, like, the company strategy against them in a way. Well, you're certainly using their language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's kind of fun. I kind of like it. Um, what, is, what, happen, what is happening to uh, Lieutenant Yarte Yarlin? So uh, he has been... Because they say here that... Uh, all crew members wishing to leave have been allowed to do so. Has Yar left? Is he still in captivity? What's going uh, on with Yar? W- well, when we when we left him last episode, he had been um, oh yes, he had been marooned, That's and right. and had gotten a lift from another company uh, back to Usin Depot. Cool. So he's still, as far as we know, he's still there. Yeah. All right. Cool. 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 Yeah. This this is more like crew members who don't want to be part of the mutiny, not 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 officers. Sure. Sure. Um, on that, that any crew members wishing to leave uh, have been allowed to do so, placed safely without company reach. I don't understand that language. What do you mean, placed safely without company reach? Without as in the opposite of within. Oh. So they've just been put somewhere that's not under the control of the companies. Yeah, so that they, they, made, they made a stop somewhere. Um, where they could safely leave people behind, that they they would be able to to get back home. I miss- but that the sorry, go on. But that the the company w- wouldn't be like there to apprehend them. I assume that usage of the word "without" is fairly archaic. I've never heard anyone use the word "without" to be the opposite of "within." Uh, it's it's somewhat archaic. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and the last point I have, uh, and I think probably the most important, and like I, what I foresee as being the biggest talking point here, is the second to last paragraph, uh, which goes: "We reject imposed authority. All our officers have been elected by the crew as temporary roles, not as positions of supremacy. 
our decisions and trade should be conducted as a collective on the consensus of the crew and to the profit of us all. Mm-hmm. So two things come to mind here. Well, one, uh, the phrase, there is nothing more permanent than a temporary solution comes to mind. <laughs> and then the other thing is that, like, I I think you've set up a fairly black and white dichotomy here where it's like a besky bad, non-abesky or non-company people um, good, right? And knowing you and that, like, you know, you're, you're not a simplistic man when it comes to your art. Am I correct in thinking that we that the the non-company people aren't as pure and wonderful as they may be purport to be? Like, are how do we foresee this playing out? Do we foresee this as being a nominal declaration of intent that never is really going to be fulfilled, or do you actually foresee them being like, yeah, they're going to set up like a fair working relationship on board this this ship and any other ships that they may acquire? Um, I mean, it it could go either way. Um, it's 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 entirely down to the the circumstances and the 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 people involved. Um, I'm I'm definitely not trying to set this up as now these are the perfect guys. Um, that's definitely not my my intention. Um, because anyone who's been in any kind of organization ever <laughs> will know <laughs> how how quickly things can go wrong. Apart from Artifexian. Apart from a- any organization of more than two people. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I don't know. I mean, I'm 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 gonna I'm going to maybe have some fun exploring that further. But it's definitely not. Um. Yeah, these guys have now a perfect. Uh, a perfectly free, um, supreme liberty anarchist uh, trading vessel um, is is not like my my intention here to make this some kind of idealist thing. Yeah, because I think at least I um, suffer from this a little bit. Like when I when I go to create settings, or whatever, I always tr- um, or I, I feel like there is a natural impulse for me to kind of think about how I would like the world to run, mm. and then obviously like it's utopian from you know, my, given my set of like personal beliefs, because, you know, why would you want the world to run in a non-optimal way? You want it to run optimally for you. And then I often find myself creating cultures and systems that are just kind of like, yeah, too perfect. Like every, everyone is insanely happy all the time. Um, yeah. The poor are cared for, the rich, you know, um, disperse their wealth fairly and equitably, um, if rich people even exist and things like that. And... I find myself having to stop myself and go like, that's really bloody boring, Edgar. Like you need to, you need to not do that. So I was, um, not that I was fearful that you're going to do this because again, like you're a smart chap. Um, but I just, yeah, I was suppose I was like, can we, can we see some, uh, uh, some of these people doing just becoming very corrupt? That would be fun to see. Sure. Cause I mean, it's bound to happen. Like, cause again, you know, like again, the temporary thing, like you, you have a hierarchy imposed, which they say is temporary, but like the minute there is some sort of hierarchy imposed and authorities imposed, people naturally do not want to give that up, you know, um, for better or for worse. Like it can be for um, nefarious reasons, but also for like kind of um, benign reasons, as in like, no, like I, I, I know what's good for the, this, this, this ship and this ideology or whatever. I must remain in charge. And then that's ram- rife for corruption, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. So, so like this is definitely a a thing that is uh, discussed in in anarchist circles um, about how you can have uh, you know sort of flat hierarchies or or things can can be done um, so that your know, power doesn't get uh, concentrated and solidified. Um, but I would say it is not a solved problem here or on Ecairn. Mm. I mean. From the little I know about anarchist circles, I have a good friend of mine who's uh, who would describe himself as an anarcho-communist, and mm-hmm. I've I've read I'm really interested in hearing how this person views how the world should work, mm-hmm. and from listening to them, I I get the impression that even within kind of anarcho-communist circles, there's no kind of like consensus on how this would actually work and how you would do things like have flat hierarchies and. Uh, mitigate all the problems that lots of uh, human cultures and systems uh, have. Um, I think it's incredibly fascinating and incredibly hard for me to comprehend how this works because it's just so, uh, particularly with, uh, with, uh, with anarcho stuff, it's just so different from everything I'm used to. It's really mm-hmm. hard to understand how it actually would function. Um, so, yeah, there you go. And I suppose my final question is, and again, it's probably a really stupid question, is um, who are these people again? Who who did the mutiny? Are they just the, the are they just disgruntled the Besky workers, or is there some greater organization here? Um, they are yeah they're they're disgruntled uh, crew members. Um, I'm sure some of them have uh, connections to uh, more uh, far reaching uh, agitation organizations. Um, but it's it hasn't been claimed in the name of, like, the People's Resistance Movement or anything sure. like that. Um, and it is explicitly um, not now owned by just some rival organization. It is a free vessel. It is an independent thing. Yeah. Um, so, like, while it might be kind of politically aligned with um, with uh, agitators, it is not, like, it now belongs to the agitators army. It's... um. It's just, you know, they are doing their thing. Do, do you see this as being a, uh, a catalyst for further revolt, further afield? Like, could you see other crews being like, well, hey, look what they did in the Nomad. Like, this is great. Um, can we... That's certainly the intent of, of sending this uh, to, to broadsheets in the big cities. And then I'm assuming the... the well, I mean, question. Uh, the, the companies... Again, are they bothered? Do you think? Is this something that is just it's part? It's the cost of doing business. Every so often, couple of lads are going to get disgruntled. You, that's just it's par for the course. Or again, are are the companies going? Well, hang on now. We need to clamp down hard on this. This is this is has a potential to get out of hand. Well, even if you you do consider purely, we lost a a vessel, and that that is the 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 cost of business that we have to bear sometimes. Um, to be to be valid, there's still the the kind of the propaganda element of mm. someone seizing a vessel of yours uh, as a specific critique of of how you do business and a specific act of defiance to you. Um, so I think they're unlikely to just let this lie. Mm. And um, again, probably another silly question: uh, Do we have do we have a competitor to the companies? They they they're competing with each other, um, but is there is there but like all the companies are 
like a besky in origin are they yeah yeah it's 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 uh very much an abesky kind of uh, cultural concept or phenomenon or whatever so we don't have another culture who are seeking to like uh engage in this space be competitive in this space as well no no okay. i mean they they the companies see the the Earthani as a sort of sort of rival they're the river um, trader folks aren't they yeah yeah um because they they can kind of trade and operate outside um, of the the control of the companies, and they they have they have a far reach. Um, but there's no one. There's not like the the Abwari have a company as well, and they're trying to do the same thing back in the other direction or to to the other neighbors or anything. Mm. Okay. Um. Cool. All right. Well, I am again. I'm I'm increasingly interested. In where this goes because again from my perspective that some stage soon we must have like open warfare um because it's again, already open warfare if you're a an abwari miner edgar sure but I, I, again <laughs> I, I, I get it i get it but again i don't think you've written i know you wrote about a, a riot like i get that uh, yeah. but there's very it's very different writing about a riot and writing about like a besieged town or something like actual mm. like military warfare boots on the ground sort of stuff um because you know it, it, this is this explicitly states we are in a state of war um and but 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 again like you got to you got to look at that from a kind of an, an an anarchist sort of context of how they're defining war sure yeah, yeah. but again surely the, the companies then would you know get riled by this and then more people get riled and the next thing you know it is actually kind of like traditional open boots on the ground warfare you know like surely that's the end game here that we will go to war i don't know i don't Mm. know that it is okay all right well then i'm more intrigued (laughs) um cool congrats man i enjoy short and sweet this month Thank you very much. Yeah, I thought I, I, I thought it was uh, a little on the shorter side, but I kind of said everything I, I intended to say. Um, I, I actually to to circle back to what we were talking about pirate law earlier. Mm. Um, I sort of started out writing this as the articles of the 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 free vessel nomad, um, like the the articles of a pirate ship about you know the, what you agree to as a member of the crew, um, but it, it became this this more kind of declaration instead, um. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't organically fit both in the document. Yeah, there's, um, man, there's absolutely nothing wrong with short. It's totally yeah, fine. no, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I, I think I, I, I said everything I needed to. And like, there's always that. Uh, I say danger, but like, I, I don't mean that negatively. There's always danger that even if you do write something short, like we'll pounce on. Or I'll pounce on like one line, and that springs into like a half an hour worth discussion. So, <laughs> so length, length is really arbitrary here. When you, when it, like, as it translates to the final length of the podcast, it's kind of arbitrary, you know. Mm. Um, do you have any uh, closing points on this? I do not. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I do not. I should maybe have have added Gcav to the to the the broadsheet publishers, the cities, because that's where the the thing was found that I might actually write that in and when I when I upload it and you can pretend that I said GCAV as one of the cities earlier. I'll just say the word GCAV and splice it in during your reading. Beautiful. Organic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one will ever notice. Oh god. Okay, um shall we go into green room then? Green room. I have a bunch of like smallish things that I want to uh, ask you. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, all kind of sort of relating to, you know, nerd world building culture sort of thing. Um, point one yeah. is just a a um, a complaint I have that I want to see if you if it resonates with you as well, Bill. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching the new season of The Witcher came out, right? So we're rewatching The Rich Witcher. Okay. And this struck me in the first watch, and it struck me again on the second watch. And it's what I like to call pop bard, right? I dislike pop bards. And what they are is too often, I think, in fantasy fiction, um, there's a bard character. But the bard character sings and performs with the vocal stylings of like modern earth culture. And it kind of drives me up the wall and it completely breaks my immersion. Uh, and so the guilty party in The Witcher is that obviously that bard chap, whatever he's called, I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, but he's just like, he has a lute type thing. And he's in this bar at when we first meet him. And like, he's playing the lute as if it were a guitar, like strumming the bloody thing. And like, obviously this is a, you know, uh, as far as I'm aware, this is like not Earth. This is a fictional world. Mm-hmm. So I guess you can always make the argument that on this fictional world, they just happen to... You know, back in the medieval times, play instruments like this. But, like, it just doesn't ring very true because when you look back at, like, Renaissance and pre-Renaissance music, uh, and there's a wealth of, like, lute music, that's not how lutes were performed. Like, that's not the vibe of of that era at all. And then further on top of that, the singing like, is... They, they didn't have three-chord tricks. They didn't have three-chord tricks. And also, they didn't uh, strum um, their, their lutes. And they oh. might they might roll chords and stuff, but it's not like you get a plectrum and you strum it like a guitar. And I can speak with some authority on this because uh, a lot of the classical guitar repertoire that I performed in college was uh, based on uh, a whole bunch of lute music. John Dowland. John Dowland for the my win. My main man. My main man. Uh, so I spent a lot of time doing uh, Renaissance sort of music, and also spent a lot of time doing it with singers as well. And mm-hmm. I've I've some insight into how vocal coaches uh, think about a, a Renaissance or pre-Renaissance. I think about the vocal stylings of that sort of era, and it's not the same as modern stylings. And like exp- explicitly, like vocal coaches were constantly like, "No, no, don't do this vibrato. Don't do this sort of inflection. Like that's not appropriate." And once you hit all of those things, you're at least for me, you're immediately transported back in time, and it feels medieval and like quote-unquote correct but mm. it's just no one seems to do this with music in fantasy fiction they just kind of go let's write it all tune and then perform it and we're all supposed to kind of go that seems appropriate <laughs> i don't know D- does this bother you at all because it really drives me up the wall <laughs> kind of yeah um hey Edgar, do you remember that ed sheeran was in game of thrones <laughs> yeah it was but he didn't did he sing in game of thrones yeah but did he sing like, but he didn't sing like he, uh, I seem to remember that he was like humming at a campfire or something. I, I think he was like, they meet him camping and, and like they sit down and, and he, has a, he, has a, he has a wee song and they head on. Oh um, God. Well, if that yeah. wee song is performed like Ed Sheeran would normally perform his songs, it's just completely, it's just completely immersion breaking. Mm. Like, you know? Like what, what I find so strange is like... Even even if we take the the world building that's done in this kind of fiction to to be ahistorical and is more based on 
kind of trying to satisfy our expectations of what the Middle Ages or the Renaissance looks like. They put so much effort into clothes. Yeah. They put so much effort into uh, buildings, mm-hmm. you know, the architecture side of things. And none, like, so little into music. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's a really weird disparity and what, for and me. What, what I think is really odd as well is that, particularly of late, like, they put a ton of effort into languages as well. Like, they get, mm. you know, they get DJP to come out and, like, make a viable, internally consistent language. But, like, there are so many composers knocking around. Get a composer who is familiar with this sort of style and this era and get them to compose a tune. Do you know it's it's nuts? And like, yeah, I, if only we knew anyone who was like experienced both in composing and world building. If only there were two handsome Irish guys. <laughs> I love that. That's like the second or third time you've invoked that for a potential employment. <laughs> what was the last one? Oh, the last one was Irish accents. If only. <laughs> uh, I got this on just on a quick note on Irish accents. Um, that I was watching a couple of things and. I was like, wow, Irish accents are really great in these shows. And I made a note of them to bring up and talk about in, uh, in what was it, Bad Irish Accents Corner or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, I did some digging and every time I was like, that's a great Irish accent. The person was actually Irish. Um, <laughs> like in, in Wheel of Time, uh, the, the Gypsies, there's a lot of good Irish accents there. And particularly that main character, um the guy with the dark skin and he has these, these like incredibly grey eyes. Yes, yeah. He's he's Irish. Um so, you know, that checks out, obviously, so it wasn't much to talk about. But anyhow, yeah, it just it just drives me nuts that we're in we're in a sort of era in fantasy fiction where we really care about the details. Language being kind of case in point there. And just this does not seem to have spread over into music. And it's it's mm. mad. And like I love that Witcher team song. Uh, that's a coin to you, Witcher. Like it's really. I, I haven't watched it. It's it's fun. I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a cool song, but it's just it's so jarring to watch a bunch of blokes who look like, you know, they're they've been talking out in like twelve hundreds or whatever, and mm. just this kind of like modern pop performance. It just it makes no sense, no sense at all. Um, when you when you mention uh, Wheel of Time, there I didn't know you, you'd watched Wheel of Time. I have. Uh, um. I kind of liked what they did with Tom. Uh, sorry, Tom? Uh, the Glee Man. The Glee Man. Uh, sorry, what was... Oh, he's the bloke... Oh, yeah, he's the bloke that um, they met in the... They met him in that bar before the phage attacked. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what did they do with him? Because I, I, so, I, I read the book years and years ago for the show, mm-hmm. but I don't remember it very well. So what's the difference? So w- with him and with some of the other the music that you hear... It is, uh, it is very much um, American folk yep. and blues music. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of makes sense in, in the context of what they did with the show because they lean really hard into the idea of it being a post-apocalyptic setting in, in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of, that would be a, a, a bit of an exception overall to, to, to the approach with the music here. Um, I thought it was a pretty bad show overall. Um, yeah, I I didn't. It it had good moments, and and then it sort of it did not stick the landing nor the middle. 
nor the beginning. <laughs> no, it had some good bits at the beginning. No, I, 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 here's another thing that I, I, I find jarring in in fantasy fiction. Fiction. I, kind, there's probably a TV trope about this, but I kind of hate that in the beginning when everything is good, thing colors tend to be saturated. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Like, and particularly at the start, it was, oh my god, it was so garish. Like they just ramped up the. The, the saturation of the show something serious and the look and the feel of it was just I think was all wrong for me like um, those bloody plants were glowing green like and the sky was this like vibrant blue and it's just oh, it looked like a bad Instagram edit I really disliked that vibe like and then obviously as the show progresses everything gets darker and desaturated because you know conflict and things like that but it's just yeah. I, I just don't, I think that's that sort of visual storytelling is just overly simplistic I think and I don't I don't engage with it well it's like whenever in an American film they go to Mexico they slap an orange filter on it yeah yeah precisely yeah exactly um, yeah the Glee Man in Wheel of Time that wasn't too bad because from what I remember I didn't I wasn't aware of this like post-apocalyptic connection sort of thing uh, that didn't strike me or anything but I remember it being a fairly tame sort of performance like yeah it was bluesy and stuff but it wasn't like overtly like you can kind of tweak a little bit of things and then you could drag it back to what would feel like more of a medieval renaissance sort of thing it wasn't too bad uh it wasn't too garish in the way mm-hmm. that the witcher is they just, they just they just throw the garish book at it just like boom, done um anyhow pop bards don't like them just get a composer to write a piece of medieval music and like everyone would love it it would be so cool <sighs> anyhow so that was the small point that took way too long um classicos classicos I, I have two points just uh, i'm working on a kind of a secret-ish project uh, behind the scenes um okay. and i would like some i've had some thoughts about what i'm doing mm-hmm. and what i intend to do and i'd like to hear some of your thoughts on this and the thoughts of artifexia uh hi chat um one right uh fantasy fiction like non-sci-fi stuff uh tends to be by and large based on a sort of analog of medieval europe sure yeah there's obviously there are exceptions but that kind of seems to be big the big player in the space my question is do is there any historical time period that you feel is woefully like unrepresented that is like an interesting time period that would work in this sort of genre that just people haven't really explored hmm that is a good question Hmm. um the americas before european colonization and so why in particular um because they were very different societies to European societies. Um, and you would have to rethink a lot of the assumptions about about how uh, you present societies and how they work. Um, okay. I think that could be interesting. Um, like the, the Haudenosaunee uh, Confederation uh, were like a, a, a big and a complex society. I, I don't know anything about these. Uh, so they're, they're they're known as the Iroquois Confederacy as well. Okay. Um, but uh, the Haudenosaunee is kind of I think the the proper name for the political entity because Iroquoian can refer to languages as well, which 
some nations who are outside the Confederacy are part of that linguistic grouping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're kind of the, um, around the Great Lakes okay. is, is roughly where they are. Um, and it was a, a kind of a confederation of five and then later a sixth tribe. Um, and they, it lasted for hundreds of years. Um, and when you say about how society set up radically differently, can you give me some broad examples? Sorry to put you on the spot here. Um, it has been a while since I read about this, so I don't know that I can give an accurate answer there. Um, but I, I, I get the impression that there was a a, a degree more autonomy on an, on a, a kind of a settlement level. Um, okay. And then the... like concepts of, of being organized around families and things were a little different um and i, I can't remember whether they ha- had an, an overall leader i think they, they were essentially a kind of a democratic sort of setup hmm. um and what's what sort of years are we looking at here um it's not certain when it was founded um there are very different um dates in it uh because i like i'm pretty sure they didn't have writing Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, let's see if I'm just having a quick look here. Um, many archaeologists and anthropologists believe the league was formed around 1450. Um, one theory argues uh, 1142. Um, and continues up until well, uh, until, until a European colonization. Well, I mean, it it it, it still exists. Oh. I mean, like, they, yeah, like, so they're still, I think, uh, recognized as a, as a nation or as a, as a people or whatever. Oh. Um, but like, they, oh, no, it says here disestablished 1660. Um, oh. I'm not sure what the, the specifics of the, the disestablishment are, but, but I, the, the, the peoples, the peoples also exist. I was about to say, I, 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 I suppose the peoples exist, but given like that it's been usurped by a different form of government, that, the, yeah. that system of government maybe fell. Um. Well. Okay. Cool. Um. That would be one. I would say so. So. Um. And uh, and there. That's just like one bit of a very big and very diverse continent. Um. So I think there's there's a lot of things there that that could be taken as as inspiration. Um. Now whether that is a, an appropriate thing for anyone who's not from. Uh, in, in indigenous peoples of America to do is a different question. I don't know. I was literally, that was literally going to be my next point. I was like riffing on what Sully said. Uh, you know, it, it, it can be a bit of a minefield to explore, uh, going to explore that because, you know, misrepresentation and all that sort of crack. So I was wondering, um, do you think there's any sort of time period, more a more European-centric time period uh, that us Europeans might be able to explore? Um that's underutilized mm. because like i i would i would always say like oh ancient ireland because you know that's what i'm familiar with but like but yeah. i would imagine i probably have blinkers on is there anything you're aware of i mean a- ancient ireland is, is quite good as well um the albigensian crusade um, uh define what is this so that was a a crusade in the south of france against the cathar people um, I've probably mangled the the pronunciation. You know, Al- Albigensian. Okay. Yeah. Um. So it was in the twelve hundreds to uh, wipe out this uh, this religion. Uh, they were kind of a, a, a gnostic 
sect called Cathars, um, which is a you know horrible uh, example of uh, European uh, kind of internal colonialism or something, I guess. Sure. Um, but I think there's there's not much done about that. Maybe. Um, and what 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 for you would be a major selling point of that culture in that epoch that makes it interesting? Uh, the the Cathar religion. The Qatar religion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, okay. I, I know you get a lot of like European religious conflict and stuff, so maybe that would be a bad idea. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Artifacts, yeah, feel free to chime in here in chat and in, in the subreddit because I'm, I'm very intrigued. Um, follow-up question. Um, would you... Which excites you more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some writer, Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson, Sanderson announces that he's writing a new fantasy fiction book and it's set prior to the sort of generic uh, fantasy fiction era. You know, it's it's modeled off cultures pre-medieval, say. Okay. Uh, so, or, so a classical. Uh, classical, yeah, I suppose, yeah. But it could go further back in time. Like, yeah, cool. To, to, to ancient and all that sort of time. Like, basically, Sanderson writes a book. It's pre-medieval, or post-medieval fantasy fiction, non-sci-fi, which of those prospects excites you more? Do you like the older or the newer ones? Mm. I have an inkling what you're going to say, but I'm I'm intrigued. I mean, both very strong. Um, I think pre-medieval is probably a little bit less explored. Hmm. But personally, I'd imagine you might go post because you have all of that sort of like naval warfare uh colonial sort of thing that you seem to really enjoy exploring. Yeah. I think that would probably be more in line with a lot of my my interests, but I think it's probably been a bit explored already. Whereas I can't think of much that would be like a fantasy on a Byzantine. No, it's yeah. not Byzantine. Um that's exactly the wrong word. Um uh Babylonian sure. kind of culture. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's. I did a quick survey on, on Discord about this, and a lot of people, uh, I'd say the majority of people, would agree that going pre medieval is more interesting than going post medieval. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 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 interesting to me. Uh, so, yeah, okay. You you seem to have fallen in line with the consensus. Yeah. Um, okay, and then my, my other question is you know, the way we, we aren't going to the moon on the regular? Yeah. <laughs> almost look, never, in fact. Almost never. And uh, I believe the reason for this is that, like, budgets being cut, um, like NASA's budget being cut, and they just don't have the eco- economic power to do so anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to the moon in no small part because of, like, wanting to outdo, or the, the Americans went to the moon in no small part because wanting to outdo the Russians and all that sort of crack. So there's all these factors about why we went into space, right? Bit of hypothesizing here. Do you have you ever thought about how early we could have went to space, given a different set of circumstances? Like, could, could we re-roll uh, history, like set it set it back to factory settings, let it go again, and we end up with like I don't know Victorians in space? Um, have you ever thought about this? Do you have any opinions? Like, if we're to- talking a pure like number, if we say we start at the year one of the Holocene um, and how quickly we can get there. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is it a given 
that like if we were to reset would it always work out that we'd have to get to roughly about the 20th century in order for tech to advance or is it that you know if we started history again things could play out just a little bit differently and you could plausibly see uh you know er earlier than the 19th century people going to space um yeah probably hmm like I, th- I think we have this concept of of progress being s- sort of linear and continuous um when it's not at all i think it, it, things happen in in bursts and at, at at different places at different times and stuff is lost and forgotten mm. um but i mean say we did reset 1200 years or 12000 years ago um and you know, humans got to the moon. Then, ten thousand years after that, it's not going to be like our Iron Age. It's going to be a, a totally different. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it, it, it feels to me like in the question, there's this kind of underlying assumption that there, there is a an a fixed thing that you know, in eighteen fifty, it'll always be the Victorian era. Um, but yeah. that's going to be totally dependent on all of the stuff that's gone before. I, I don't think we could decouple um, getting to the moon from 20th century style things. Yeah, so what you're saying is you re-roll the dice on the Holocene and we end up going to space in the year 9000, say for argument's sake, but the vibe of that year will look and feel a lot like the 20th century. Yeah, I mean, it will have to have you know, massive technological infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, industrialization, etc. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And I suppose, see, I was thinking about, I don't know how applicable this is, but like, as you mentioned, um, that, you know, knowledge and information gets lost mm-hmm. or is purposefully, um, what's what I'm looking for? Um, not dispersed amongst people. What's that word? To, um, Suppressed, suppressed. Yeah. Uh, is purposely suppressed in that. Like, I could think of things like, you know, uh, they say that when when the library at Alexandria burnt down, that was a huge, like, loss to humanity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had to rediscover the classical period, basically, um, post the Middle Ages, really. Um, so you could, I, I could easily see things like playing out where, you know, the library at Alexandria isn't burnt down so that information and that like tech level in the way is like held forward we don't go through a massive like bout of plagues this is talking specifically about europe here obviously because it's the only thing i'm informed about enough to talk about uh we don't go through a history of massive plagues so there's kind of like progress is allowed to march on like fairly linearly there and we don't go through these ebbs and flows so you, yeah part of me was thinking like you know we could see like you know the development of automobiles and you know space shuttles and things like that way before uh it actually occurred um but i think you're right in pointing out that thing about the implicit assumption of the of the question is you know victorians in space with their top hats um yeah yeah, uh, that makes sense like there's there's the whole thing about the the some uh, greek philosopher had a um had, had a kind of a steam engine kind of thing hero hero yeah hero of alexandria had a thing that was like you you put a fire underneath uh, a a brazier and or underneath a, a a tank of water and there were these pipes and it made a a ball spin around. Mm. Um, 
and that was like first century AD or something. Sure. Um, and people say that oh, it's like oh wow, and you know I think if only they had they had kept doing that, then maybe the Romans could have built uh, steam trains and could have built railways. But there, there's so many other assumptions there that they were like it would need to be economically viable for them that they would would mm. um, have all of the infrastructure to to make steel of a high enough quality for it and and like. The Romans had loads of slaves. They didn't need yeah. machines to do labor because they owned people to do the labor. You know, there, there's there's mm-hmm. there's cultural and infrastructural uh, considerations as well as just pure knowledge. Yeah, that's fair. I'm wait now. I think, but hold on. But sure, plenty of modern societies had like loads of slaves, but they also like industrialized. You know. Like what? Like, it's not like the states were like, oh, Jesus, like, you know, we have trains and stuff, so we, we must never have slaves anymore. It's like, you can have both of those things. Yeah, but the Union was massively more industrialized than the Confederacy. Oh, interesting. You know? Okay. Oh, I did, actually, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Like, okay. They, 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 they massively outperformed them in, in um, production of arms and things like that. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess a similar thing is often said about Da Vinci, where it's like, geez, if you just kept with that helicopter crack, mm-hmm. uh, you might have helicopters in whatever, whatever it would be, what, like the 1700s, maybe? You might have a helicopter in the 1700s. But again, yeah, it's like... He, he lived in the late 14, early 1500s, yeah. Yeah, so give it another, like, I don't know, 100, 200 years after that, and yeah. then, yeah, might have helicopters. But yeah, you're right, like, there's so many other cultural things that need to go with that, like. Mm. Um, it's 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 not an easy correspondence of you, you make this... Uh, theoretical discovery or even you make this one invention and then everything just easily follows from that no like as I said to, to make a, a steam engine you need tons of steel yeah and you there's no point in just like building one steam engine and then you're done no for that to be a valid relevant thing um, it, you know you need to have you know tracks for it to go on and you need to have a reason for it to be worthwhile pursuing um, you need massive deforestation to fuel it and to to fuel all the the production of the steel because you know it's it's so hot and needs so much wood to do the metallurgy. Yeah, and I guess uh, you know now that I think about it, like it's um it it almost is akin to people you know sci fi writers having an idea about how uh, faster than light travel would work and mm. writing it down and then in thousands of years people going if they just kept going with that <laughs> but it's like in no way is that in any way feasible for us to think about and try and implement faster and light technology um assuming what, co- what? say i'm not i'm not fully following so your man from greece yeah 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 he has this idea for a steam engine type thing right jots it down and yeah. goes that would be that's that's a fun idea and then oh no! Like he he built one. Like you know, it's a he has a working prototype. Okay, that's a little bit different. Or, or um, Da Vinci. Da Vinci didn't build a helicopter, did he? Uh, I don't think so. No. Right. So Da Vinci has this notion that one could do helicopter-like flight. Jots it down. Has an idea, and then people in the far future look at it and go like, "Geez, if you only stuck with that, we'd have helicopters a lot sooner. That'd be great." Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is somewhat analogous. Thinking about, it, I think this is analogous to some sci-fi writer 
has an idea of how a warp drive might work. Yeah. Um, and then many thousands of years later, people look at that and go, well, geez, if we just stuck with that for a little bit, we might have been able to get to Alpha Centauri many hundreds or thousands of years earlier than we actually did. Yeah. And that kind of, when I frame it like that, I see the fallacy there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, those are my questions. I wanted to know about cultures and going to space. Um, and I wanted to know about underused historical, preferably European, uh, time periods. Um, yeah. um, a place that we don't know much about mm. is... Wales. <laughs> what is even going on? <laughs> no, no. Um, so there, is, there was a kingdom, a medieval kingdom, in, or kind of more like a renaissance or early modern era kingdom in Zimbabwe um, mm. that kind of seemingly uh, fell just slightly before uh, Europeans started to move to what's now South Africa. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you look up Great Zimbabwe, it's it's a city uh, that was built kind of, they think, around the 1400s and inhabited for a couple hundred years. Great Zimbabwe. And there's just, there's not a huge amount known about, about uh, the people who built it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, fun times. Oh, actually, this reminds me, I should have put this in the section about uh, our relationship to German. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it occurs to me, just uh, speaking of Zimbabwe, I need to correct again because I'm an idiot. Uh, Uganda, apparently not a colony of of Germany. Right. I was tricked by the flag. I looked at the flag and went, those are the colours of Germany. Ergo, they must have been a German colony. I was wrong about that. Uh, and the other thing, I was then, then that got me thinking about um, German and my feelings towards German. And again, going back to what DF, was it DFYZ? DFYZ? YX. YX, sorry. DFYX asked about like our feelings towards German. Um the, the one thing I hate about German, right, is that I find it extremely difficult to sound like a native speaker. Mm-hmm. Not because of the accent or anything, um, or, or not native, let me rephrase, a competent speaker, right? So that's not because of the accent. The My accent will always be there and there's nothing I can do about that. But it's like native speakers use so many like um, nonsense words in <laughs> their speech, like they pepper their speech with like these filler words there's there's a word in german from i can't remember um and if you're if you're a native speaker you just naturally do it like and it's it it flows naturally but when you're not a native speaker you kind of they're very impenetrable because it's like yeah but what does that mean and the answer is that word means just like it it, it just sits there it's ground don't worry about it um and i would love to at some stage be able to get a grasp of the german language strong enough that i can pepper a phrase with a bunch of filler words and convincingly sound like someone who is good at German but that's never going to happen because those filler words completely elude me that was that was the thing I meant to bring up earlier sorry no worries <laughs> uh, just to put it in I'm going to have a quick Google um, yeah but like yeah here we have stuff like um, Kla uh, Halt Ach Stimpt and you just kind of just scatter them everywhere I think Naya would be another one um and you just, yeah, doch, da, noch, so, den, na, ja, dann, also, auch, du, ja, klar, 
natürlich, I don't know about natürlich, uh, stimmt so, etc. Um, and you can't really sound like a German speaker until you can fully weaponize those words. <laughs> Anyhow, so that was that. Uh, that's the show on my end. Is it the show on your end, Bill? Uh, I think that is the show on my end. Woohoo! Episode AP604, if I'm not mistaken. Done. Complete, done, underscore, package, ship it, let's go. <laughs> uh, thank you. Underscore, final, underscore, edit. <laughs> yeah, doc, final, doc. final four, last edit. Um, the Thank you so much for uh, listening, folks. Hi, chat. Thanks for being here with us on the, on the stream uh, or on the premiere. Um, thanks for supporting the show over on Patreon thanks for buying any merch if you do so links to all this is in the show notes we will see you next time where we're going to be talking about the Stone Sky from N.K. Jemison. important, pick up a copy, read it before the next show yes Um. yeah, and until next time Edgar Edgar Edgar